Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. A few reminders before we get started. Visit our website at sportsbusinessradio.com. You can listen to us on demand anytime you want via podcast. Just go to the podcast page at sportsbusinessradio.com. We're doing a very special show for you this week. 8-8 of 2008, Beijing, China, the Olympics. It's going to be big, and I'm joined this week in studio by Paul Swangard, the Managing Director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. I'm going to be tagging along with the Warsaw Center on a trip to China, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. Paul, welcome. Ni hao, Brian. Good to have you. So, Paul, you know, we have talked about this for a long time now, and there are so many people over in China, 1.3 billion. To put that in perspective, there's 300 million in the United States and there are companies that are just flooding China right now, trying to get in there. Some people are saying this is going to be the most commercial Olympic Games in the history of the Olympics. Well, it's it's symbolic for many reasons. The the whole notion of what the Olympic movement can do to a country that is obviously in an incredible state of evolution. Their economy has been growing uh, steadily over the last 25 years. And, you know, the sky's the limit for a burgeoning middle class of folks that are just now beginning to have things like discretionary income. So there's a lot of brands, obviously, that want to use the Olympics as that catalyst for being part of that, you know, really literally a land grab for a new era of consumerism in China. Now, we're going to have some special guests joining us throughout the show today. But, you know, I've noticed in, in the things I've read, and this is why I'm so interested in going over to China, it's such a big mystery to me, is there seems to be this tremendous sense of pride. It's so important to the Chinese people to put on a fantastic show so that the rest of the world can see what a fantastic country they are. Well, the government has said that the goal of the Olympics is to bring glory to the motherland and everyone who is associated with it, the construction workers, the the folks who are putting the nuts and bolts together of this thing in a variety of different ways have all placed a focus on this you know, success metric, and it's going to be a challenge for them to pull it off. There's some major environmental and social issues that are sort of the sidebar story, a significant sidebar story to this Olympic Games, uh, but I would not, having traveled over there extensively the last couple of years, I wouldn't bet against this country not only to pull off one of the most memorable games in the history of it, but to come out on top of the medal count, which is exactly what they said they'd do, and imagine that just 25 years removed from when they uh, competed in the Olympic Games in Los Los Angeles in 1984, their first uh, as the People's Republic of China, just how far they've come using the Olympics as the bookend uh, for where they've come to where they are today. So lots of terrific stuff coming up for you on this week's episode of Sports Business Radio. Stick around. We will be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. 
I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Now it's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headlines brought to you by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Go to warsawcenter.com. Headline number one, the NFL season kicks off this weekend. Roger Goodell, as we know and have talked about on this show, has handed out lots of suspensions. The, the most important being Michael Vick will not be present in the NFL. Bobby, tell me what you think about the suspensions and who your picks are this season. You know, I think the suspensions are a good move. I know Roger Goodell kind of has to rule with an iron fist. That's just the way he is. You know what? Okay, fine. That's his call. A lot of teams, you know, have players now that will not be available. I know uh, Chris Henry with the Bengals is not available for like the first eight or nine games. I know your boy Tank Johnson's not going to be available for the Bears, of course, Michael Vick. As far as the teams go, you know, I like my Lions. We're not going to go to the playoffs this year. I really wish we would, but it's not going to happen. I like the Bears to win the NFC. I think Green Bay is going to make some noise. I like Seattle, Tampa Bay. And, you know, I even think Matt Leiner in Arizona is really going to kind of, you know, stir some waves this year. Well, I hope to see the Bears, of course, as always. But I think the Colts have got another good shot to repeat as Super Bowl champions. Headline number two, George Mitchell's investigation into the use of performance-enhancing drugs continues. Major League Baseball is still seeking cooperation from 45 current and former players as of mid-August, the New York Times reported. The number of players, which most of them are still active, was disclosed in a letter from Major League Baseball's Players Association to Mitchell. Bobby, steroids continue. I think a lot of people are anxious to see who these players are and if their names are actually going to come out. Oh, I totally agree. You know, of the 45 players, like you said, most of them are active. So here's my one question to you. If you're a current player and your name is released on this list, are you now on a blacklist from Major League Baseball? Not only, you know, it's possible that you could come out and not only be disciplined by Bud Selig, but you could also face legal issues. If you're a current player, I don't know if that's a good thing. No, it's not a good thing, but you know what? If you did steroids, don't you think that you should be blacklisted? The only player so far that has cooperated with this investigation is Jason Giambi. And in my opinion, Jason Giambi, people have kind of forgotten about him because he came out and he said he'd, you know, he had taken something and now he's cooperating unlike Barry Bonds, who we know hasn't cooperated at all, and his, his name very well might be on a list like that. I totally agree with you. Here's the thing you know, that I kind of have an issue with. Like you said, if you've done steroids, you're going to be blacklisted. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But if you come out and said, listen, I did steroids three, four, five years ago, but I'm not doing them now, then what happens? But if you're still doing steroids to this day, haven't been caught, or you know, you've been doing them and your name's on this list, where do you go as a player? You know, And I personally think, this letter with the names on it needs to stay 
hidden until the end of the season after the World Series. I really don't think baseball could have another black eye. It's going to hurt the game. I agree. Well, we'll have to stay tuned and see if those names get released. Headline number three, the Big 12 Conference named Dan Bebe as its new commissioner on Wednesday, nearly two months after he took the job in an interim role. The former Ohio Valley Conference commissioner has been acting as commissioner since July after Kevin Weiberg stepped down to take a job with the Big Ten Network. The Big 12, Bobby, has generated $106 million last season. By comparison, SEC split $122 million among the 12-member schools. So obviously a huge chunk of change for the Big 12. Exactly. And the whole thing that, you know, they're kind of talking about is what about, you know, being able to split the revenue evenly? There's a big thing right now in the Big 12. We have teams like Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Texas, that get a majority of the TV money because they're generally on TV every weekend. Smaller teams aren't, and that's what kind of the big deal is. Yeah, no, and you know, and I think that I agree with you. I think that the schools should split the money up because, you know, there are the better teams that get more airtime, but there's still the other schools that are participating just as much, and even sometimes those schools do better than those big names that we talk about. Oh, absolutely. I agree. I mean, look at the Pac-10. The Pac-10 has equal revenue sharing. Any team that goes to a bowl game at the end of the year, all that money's put back into a coffer and then split evenly among the 10 teams. But the thing that's really interesting is, and the fans of the Big 12 are saying is, listen, if they have a Big 10 network, and other, you know, colleges have, you know, allegiances with networks. When's the Big 12 going to get a TV network to offset the cost and give us more money? Exactly, and exposure for that matter. Bobby, I know that headline number four you've got to talk about. You're a Michigan guy. I see you're wearing your Michigan jersey right now. Talk about uh, the aftermath of the Michigan-Appalachian State upset. You know what? It's going to go down as one of the worst upsets in history. I hate to say that. I am a diehard Wolverines fan, but listen, Michigan flat out did not play. Appalachian State beat them fair. Now, I will say this. Having to lose on a blocked field goal really kind of irks me. It's not a great way to win, but listen, it happens. Okay, fine. Well, one double-A team or whatever they want to call it now, you know, it's like a championship subdivision, whatever. Listen, they beat Michigan. Okay, Michigan dropped out of the AP Top 25, farthest drop since 1964. Oh, well. The funny thing is, and I hate to say this because I am a Michigan fan, but guys down south in Columbus, Ohio, they're now trying to snap up Appalachian gear. Wow. Because, hey, you know what? Listen. The friend of my enemy is not my friend, right? Check check, check out eBay and see if you can uh, throw a couple Appalachian State t-shirts on eBay or the price is going up. Bobby, what does this mean for the rest of the season for your boys at Michigan? You know what? Michigan is now playing for four games. They face Oregon today in the big house, which is going to be a test for them. Then they got to play Michigan State, Ohio State, and then possibly a bowl game. Headline number five, another Oregon story for you, Bobby. Oregon announced Saturday that it hired former Cal State Fullerton baseball coach George Horton to restart its varsity program, a varsity program that has not fielded a team in 26 years and has been the only Pac-10 school without one. Here's the big news. He signed a five-year contract with the school worth $400,000. So if we break it down, he'll earn a base annual salary of $150,000 being used to start up the baseball program. Bobby, how do you feel like there's chances are next season? You know, the chances it's going to be interesting because they've still yet to determine if they're going to play a full Pac-10 schedule or they're going to be a Division One independent team. The thing about Horton is, listen, the guy knows how to win. The guy's been to the College World Series. What I'm hearing now is because he's making so much money, he is the highest-paid coach in the Pac-10, but nowhere near the highest-paid coach in the country. He's in the top 10%, I believe. He's going to make an additional two hundred fifty grand off of radio, television contracts. So you know, coaches, shows, interviews, stuff like that. But he also has an athletic contract with Nike, which you and I both know is a huge donor. 
the University of Oregon and a lot of other athletic departments around the country. Headline number six, I'm a memorabilia junkie, Bobby, so I like this one. A rare Honus Wagner baseball card has been sold for a record $2.8 million. Just over six months ago, we talked about this this card being bought for $2.35 million. The card is referred to as the Mona Lisa baseball cards and is in perfect condition. And all of us who've collected baseball cards know how hard it is to keep them in mint condition. It was released in 1909 by the American Tobacco Company. Pretty cool deal, Bobby. Oh, I totally agree. I think it's a great deal. The fact that somebody's going to buy a baseball card for $2.8 million, I mean, you and I did the same thing. We put the baseball cards that we didn't like in the spokes of our tires as bikes to make it sound like we were riding a motorcycle. But listen, nobody would ever do this with a $2.8 million baseball card, but I still think it's cool that a card is actually worth that much. Well, it's probably worth more than Barry Bonds' ball right now. On Also up for auction, the ball was or the uh, card was sold by Brian Siegel of Las Vegas to an unidentified Southern California collector. Siegel, he's the CEO of an asset management company, and a lot of really famous people have owned this card before him. Uh, Wayne Gretzky being one of them, and Bruce McNall, former owner of Los Angeles Kings, who at the time paid 451000 for it, which was back in 1991. Exactly. It's, it's, it's a really cool thing, and I'm glad that you know this guy, a real collector, has this in his collection now. Well, Barry Bonds' ball is up for auction as well, so we'll have to see how much that goes for. In our last headline, something kind of cool out of Philly, we're joined by Eric Namath. He's the director of public relations for Comcast Spectacor. Right now, the 76ers and the Flyers are offering all-you-can-eat food during their games. That's pretty cool, Eric. Tell us about it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty simple. I mean, we, we really just listened to our fans got some of the things that they wanted, uh, and made some of the changes for them for all 76ers games and Philadelphia Flyers games at the Wachovia Center. What What is it going to cost if I want to sit in an all-you-can-eat section, and have you done this at other venues? Uh, well, we did. Uh, we have a management company, Global Spectrum, that manages the Rose Garden out there where you guys are out in Portland, Oregon. Um, and we did it out there for the, for the club level, which is one of our premium areas. Now, this concept's a little bit different. Um, it's kind of more for the casual fan. Um, could be for your family, the dad taking the kids. Um, and we're selling them on an individual ticket basis. So you can go just one game. Flyers games are $66. Sixers games are $31. Um, that'll include your ticket upstairs. All you can eat popcorn, all you can eat nachos, all you can drink uh, sodas and beverages, and then all you can eat hot dogs. Are, can we expect to see this at uh, all the other Comcast Spectacle arenas, or are we just kind of testing this out right now? Well, I mean, I mean, we really heard the feedback from our fans from the Flyers and the Sixers, and then we'll see how it goes and, and offer it out, possibly working with each of our contract administrators in each one of our buildings that we manage throughout North America and, um, and, and possibly roll it out into other buildings. But we did start it out in Portland, um, and like I said, that was really like a premium seat ticket holder, much different demographic than the ones that we're offering it to in Philadelphia. Um, it's kind of twofold. It's some feedback we heard back from our fans, and it's certainly positive for them that they're going to have this option. But it's also positive for us because some of that inventory doesn't sell for every single game, and we think this is something that we can push just a little bit more to get more butts and seats. Hey, Eric, you keep mentioning that you heard it from fans. What did fans you know, come to you and say? How, you know, how did they you know, make it known that they'd like this option? We asked them. Uh, we do some focus groups um, and we say, is this something that you'd be interested in? And the feedback was, was pretty unanimous that it definitely was. Um, and we kept that price point pretty low. I mean, to come to an NBA basketball game, eat as much as you want, and you only spend 31 bucks, and it's, it's, it's pretty much a no-brainer. Eric Namath with Comcast Spectacor. We appreciate having you on and hope to have you on in the future. Absolutely. Thanks, guys.
And this week, it's not a player that's under fire. It's an organization. For an in-depth analysis of the week's PR nightmare, Sports Business Radio presents Caught in the Crosslights. Well, the PGA uh, playoffs are going on right now. The FedEx Cup playoffs, I should say. And the BMW Championship, the third event in the PGA Tour playoffs for the FedEx Cup, began this weekend near Chicago. Ernie Els and Tiger Woods both delivered strong criticisms earlier this week of the new format. Els said the players and Commissioner Tim Fincham's office have quote, grown apart from each other because of these big decisions that were made without the real knowledge of the players. Woods questioned a schedule that featured seven big events, including the PGA Championship and the President's Cup. Woods and Ells also questioned the $10 million bonus for the FedEx winner coming as a deferred payment rather than an immediate lump sum. I'll tell you what, I'd be more upset about the deferred payment than I would about the uh, actually having to play a couple extra tournaments. Bobby, what do you think of the FedEx Cup and the whole playoff system in golf? You know, it's interesting. Let's go back really quickly, though, to last week. Phil Mickelson wins the tournament, comes off, does his interview with NBC, and basically calls out Tim Fincham and says, you know what? I'm not going to show up next week. I won my event here. I have a priority to my sponsors, and I have a priority to my family. So I'm going to skip the third round, and you know what? I'll see you in the fourth round, but it's like... Okay, you have a setup of playoffs in order to kind of just drag the season on just a little bit more. I understand why they're doing it because once after that final major takes place, most of the big name golfers kind of go off and do their own thing. This is a way, you know, to keep them around. The ten million is a great incentive, but I agree with you. Pay the money up front. Well, obviously, it's not that big of an incentive because, as don't forget, Tiger Woods didn't show up for the first event. So, therefore, these players, it doesn't sound like the money. It sounds like they need the time off, and every major sport. Players and athletes get a significant amount of time off. I agree they're trying to drag it on to generate more TV ratings and, and capture golf, but I don't know that golf needs a playoff system. You know, I don't think they do need a playoff system. What I do think they need, though, is, you know, a reason to have players come to each tournament. I know, uh, you know, everybody wants to win the major. They want to win the Tour Championship at the end of the year, which is the final prize on the FedEx Cup. But shorten it down. Make the playoff maybe two, you know, two tournaments or Three tournaments, not four. Don't drag it out an extra month. There's no reason to do that. I would actually say just make the playoff one tournament at the end of the year because you know I'm not you know I'm not tuning into golf. Are you tuning into these tournaments? Even though they got all the big names in them, still I'll watch the PGA and most of the other golf tournaments in the middle of the season and at the end of the season. But I haven't been watching this. You know I'll watch the Tour Championship at the end just to see what happens. But they're doing this to increase the you know the viewership of the tournaments leading up to the Tour Championship. Make the Tour Championship the final tournament period, make it worth all that extra money. Well, they're going to have a hard time doing that without Tiger Woods, without Ernie Els, and without Mickelson showing up for every single one of them. Coming up next, we'll be rejoining Brian and Paul in China. They will continue to give us the updates on everything going on leading up to the Olympics. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000. The year before you bought the Mavericks, they were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. <laughs> <laughs> 
Ryan Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at SportsBusinessRadio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday, <laughs> or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. We're back on Sports Business Radio. Brian Berger from Beijing, China, and I'm joined by Paul Swangard, the managing director of the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Paul, we made it. It's been a great trip over, and uh, it seems like you've made the transition yourself quite nicely. You enjoying yourself so far? Yeah, it's great. Uh, tremendous dinner last night. Uh, we could talk about that experience for a minute, but just uh, a fascinating culture here. Um, so many things have surprised me, everything from the number of signs that we saw at the at the airport, uh, people waiting for drivers, to uh, some of the signage we've seen from American companies over here. Um, the pollution doesn't seem as bad as I had heard. So, you know, it's great to be here to maybe dispel some of the urban legend uh, that I had in my mind from reading previous uh, media coverings of uh, Beijing. Well, and clearly in the context of uh, your show, in terms of sports business, it didn't take long to get uh, a few steps off the plane to realize the, the role that the Olympics preeminently is playing in, uh, in the, the overwhelming sense of change and transformation the city is going through. And, uh, you know, I think that is one of the themes we'll see over the course of our time here in Beijing and then also in Shanghai is that uh, it's one year out, but the Olympic Games here are really symbolic of uh, all that's occurred here in the last 20 years. And the fun is just beginning as they prepare for uh, 80808. Yeah, the people here, I'm struck at, at how friendly they are. Um, one of the things I've read is how hard the Chinese government is trying and how hard the people are, of China are trying to really make this the best Olympics in the history of the Olympics and um, to make people feel at home here in China. And um, I think so far, you know, I know we're a year away from the Olympics, but I've been so impressed by how friendly everyone is. Well, this is literally the people's Olympics and the idea of bringing glory to the motherland through the successful, uh, you know, Olympic challenge that has been put forth in terms of the, the scale of infrastructure development, the scale of putting the city in a position where the, it, it can even, you know, allow the games to happen. And when, you know, you're being told that because your license plate is a three instead of a four, that you can only drive to work every other day, um, people are willing to do these types of things in a place like China because it's really about giving something back to the country, and in this case for the country, is being the best Olympic Games you know, ever put on uh, the face of the earth. Let's talk about some of the things that we've seen since we've been here. We're in Beijing. Uh, we've been here for a few days now. Uh, first, let's talk about signage. I mean, like you said, right away at the airport, you see the big presence of the 2008 Summer Olympics. Uh, I saw visa signage. Interestingly enough, Yao Ming, uh, Jackie Chan, some recognizable faces on that signage. Um, but then we go into the city itself. And, you know, we took a tour last night, Paul, along with some other people from the Warsaw Center, um, and went into Wang Fujing, I think is how it's pronounced. It's one of the premier shopping districts in Beijing. Beijing, and we're seeing already this battle that is being waged between Nike, Adidas, and Li Ning, and the stores that are opening here. Again, another thing I've read is how many stores are opening in China every single week. Well, we saw firsthand 
how many stores are here and how much exposure some of the American athletes have, and it's striking. Well, on Wan Fuxing, at least in, in the case for Beijing, it really represents the symbolic transformation of a, of a country that has suddenly now a burgeoning middle class of consumers with discretionary income. And it really is not only the sports brands that see this as, a, as an opportunity to reach this new populace, but also all the luxury brands. I mean, I think I'm always struck by coming here and thinking about there's, there's one part of China which is really still a third world in terms of the amount of money that people can uh, generate in their income. And yet, walking from our hotel to uh, another hotel for some meetings earlier on this trip, you walk by the Lamborghini dealership, you walk by the Rolls-Royce dealership, uh, Prada, there's you know luxury brands all over the place. And sports wants to be part of that. And the unique opportunity for the sports brands here is, is that with the Olympic Games being here, it provides such a wonderful vehicle um, to touch consumers in a very um, powerful way because, again, going back to what I said earlier, if if you help bring glory to the motherland by being associated with the Olympics and they are successful, there'll be, you know, potentially 1.3 billion Chinese who are really excited that you help them be successful, and that's, uh, that is really the true opportunity here. Now, you hit it exactly on the head. Let's talk for a moment about uh, Nike, Adidas, and, and Li Ning. First of all, Nike just opened a store uh, 13,000 square feet. You walk in, and right away, there's an enormous mural of Kobe Bryant, and he's wearing his Team USA jersey. Uh, there's an appearance with Kobe Bryant at that very store here in Beijing this weekend. Um, but some of the merchandise that was being sold, a little bit different than items that we would find in the United States, from color schemes to prices. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I think you'll find that uh, you know the Chinese consumer not necessarily always just looking to buy the American uh, the brand for the products that are sold domestically. They want their own identity when it comes to these brands as well. And um, while you'll also see pictures of Steve Prefontaine, I think one of the things that I was struck by at the Nike store, and I've been to a few over the uh, the past few years, the number of really esoteric old school road races like the you could buy a Honolulu Marathon T-shirt or uh, you know the 1977 Northwest Cross Country, and that's you know that's at least half into a bit of Americana that may not be as you know as important to an American consumer, um, but retailing here is is a very different experience. As you said, you'll walk down the street and there'll be you know two or three storefronts for some of these brands, and we saw that as well for Bocog because they're owning all their licensed merchandise. Um, walking down Wan Fuxing, we probably saw eight or nine places uh, exclusive, supposedly where you could buy uh, you know their product and apparel for Bocog, and uh, that's just kind of the nature of the beast when you're uh, trying to in essence invent retailing in an environment that. Uh, uh, really was, you know, 10, 15 years ago, just uh, mom-and-pop storefronts that uh, probably couldn't have imagined what they would see in just the, the years that have transpired. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We're in Beijing, China. Brian Berger along with Paul Swangard. Paul, um, Maria Sharapova was prominent in the Nike store, but the one athlete that we saw uh, apparel for and shoes for but no signage, no pictures, was LeBron James. I was surprised by that because I've heard so much about how Nike is exposing LeBron and Kobe here in China, but no sign of LeBron anywhere so far. 
Yeah, at least not yet. And I, I guess I was speculating with the uh, upcoming uh, China games in Shanghai and in Macau later on uh, in October that perhaps we're waiting for that major thrust of, uh, of exposure for LeBron. Clearly, uh, you know, Nike is in a good position uh, with a number of different athletes that really resonate with the populace here. Uh, but that's also true with Adidas. And I think people may be surprised if they haven't been following it that uh, Li Ning, you know, the Chinese brand really trying to gain uh, not only domestic footprint and and market share here uh, in China, but also in the U.S. is using Shaquille O'Neal and, and arguably walking down the street last night. You know, Shaq was one of the big winners when it came to exposure. And the Li Ning shop that we walked through obviously is, is really trying to attach itself to the NBA and to the Shaq brand, really to bring them legitimacy. I mean, Li Ning is a former Chinese Olympian that no one's ever heard of, uh, but I think will be one of the big winners coming out of Beijing. This is a, an athletic apparel brand that people will, uh, will know and know more about here in the next uh, 12 to 16 months. Well, and one of the interesting things quickly about Li Ning is um, they did a partnership with the Chinese broadcasters here. So all the Chinese broadcasters during the Olympics, they'll be wearing Li Ning shirts. So that's one of the ways that they've tried to get their uh, brand out there a little bit more. Let's talk about uh, Adidas. I saw three stores. One is being constructed uh, on our walk last night. And um, let's see, Tracy McGrady, Kevin Garnett, even though he was in a Timberwolves uh, jersey, those were some of the people. But no David Beckham, no sign of the NFL, Reggie Bush, anything like that. That struck me a little bit. Yeah, and it really speaks to how you know all sales are local uh, and things have to be culturally relevant. Uh, the NFL, we just finished writing a case study on looking at the NFL in China, and it's clearly uh, you know an uphill battle for them to uh, a introduce the sport to the Chinese, but also to even have some of these marquee stars even be at any level uh, relevant to them. Um, but I think it's a work in progress. Adidas obviously is is probably best positioned of, of these three brands that we've talked about to really make a huge splash globally uh, with the Olympic brand. And we, we'll be hearing from uh, Marcus Cam as, uh, as our sessions here roll out in terms of understanding a little bit more about how they're using the platform, the Olympic Games, to, to really make it a breakthrough. But, you know, combined, these uh, folks at some, some estimates are opening three to four stores a day uh, in China somewhere. So the, the current land grab in that category, the business is probably one of the fascinating sports business stories to follow over the next 12 months. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods. Featuring USDA prime age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Mortons nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Mortons, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. 
one-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Nick Griffith. He's with Octagon. He's the director of Olympic Consulting and doing lots and lots of work leading up to the 2008 Beijing Games in China. Nick, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, Nick, give us a brief overview of Octagon's roles as consultants over in Beijing, if you would. Sure. We work with several Olympic sponsors. We also work with the Chinese Olympic Committee, um, and we provide them a number of services, um, particularly strategic and creative thinking. Uh, We provide our clients. We write Olympic marketing plans and develop ideas for them for Olympic programs. Uh, we negotiate contracts for them, such as with the IOC or with an athlete or sport federation. We evaluate the sponsorship opportunities for them. Um, we have particular experience with the torch relay, so we help uh, sponsors of the torch relay as well in all aspects of that. Um, we help develop programs not just for the public, but also for employees to help educate and, and motivate their employees. Um, with the Olympics, they use the Olympic rings in a lot of their communications, but there's so many rules around that, and we'll help them with um, Olympic marks approvals, which can be can be pretty tricky. And we also perform competitive intelligence because we'll be watching what their competitor, competitors are doing and what other sponsors are doing and uh, provide all that information to them. Well, Nick, you sound so calm for a guy that's involved in such an exciting time in in sports marketing and in a part of the part of the world that I think everyone who listens to this show is fascinated by. Can you, you know, give folks a sense of, uh, you know, we've just completed the the one year uh, lead up mark, and uh, for your clients, to, is there a feeling now that that everything is shaping up to be what is uh, touted to be probably the most memorable Olympic Games uh, that will probably happen in our lifetime? Definitely, definitely. It's uh, after the one-year countdown. There, there really is uh, more of a focus on the Olympics now here in China. Although the excitement has been brewing for quite a while, the uh, since the games are this is the first games in China. Um, this is just a huge thing for uh, Chinese consumers, and uh, the the sponsors are really uh, doing more for these games and than probably um, any previous games in terms of how all the programs are developing uh, leading up to the games. As you look at the at the market over there, as, as you've tried to develop your expertise in the market to help your clients, uh, I know research becomes a key ingredient for companies that offer these types of consultant services. Maybe talk a little bit about some of the work that you guys are doing to help your clients maybe hope to understand a little bit better just who they're trying to market to. Sure, sure. We've done uh, research uh, in several countries around the world, what we call passion drivers. And what we're looking at specifically is why do sports fans love the sports that they love? So uh, we've looked at different sports in different countries, but also in general, we've looked at Olympics. Why do fans love the Olympics? Um, Here in China, uh, which is different than other countries in terms of uh, consumers here love the Olympics because of their devotion to the team. Um, the reason they are so excited about the Olympics mainly is because they're excited about the Chinese national team and are expecting them to do well. So that information is very helpful for, for our clients because um, 
we advise our clients to do is not just focus on the games and support of the games, but also talk about your, their support of the teams. Uh, and we haven't seen that a lot re, uh, recently uh, with sponsors in general, but hopefully we'll see that more um, leading uh, closer to the games, uh, especially with our clients. We're joined by Nick Griffith. He's the director of Olympic Consulting for Octagon. Nick, I want to go back to something you said a moment ago. Uh, Olympic sponsors, give us some examples of some of the things they're doing to activate their sponsorships. Well, it's it's a good mix. I mean, some some companies are um, definitely they're using their the marks in their advertising and on their packaging, and they've done that quite a bit actually. Uh, for the last three or four years, they've been doing that, and that uh, compared to other games, that's uh, much earlier uh, than normal. Um, specific sponsors have been doing things like um, not just consumer promotions, but also uh, road shows or um, more cause-related activities. For example, Coca-Cola has a a, um, a water-saving program that they um, have implemented in schools. Uh, Lenovo has a roadshow where they're bringing their computers to not only the major markets but also some of the many of the smaller markets throughout China. You uh, you mentioned a couple of brands there. One that's uh, you know easily recognized by American listeners in Coca Cola, and one that's that's relatively new in Lenovo, which uh, purchased much of what uh, was the IBM uh, laptop and PC group. This is an Olympic Games, as we've seen with uh, other properties like the NBA, where they're finding now not only interest from domestic brands that want to better position themselves uh, in a new market like China, but also those China brands that are now trying to expand their presence and reach into the rest of the world. Uh, it sounds like you're having experience with both. Is it uh, a unique challenge to try to offer different types of strategies for really two different ways of viewing how to leverage the Olympics? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, with Chinese companies, um, for one thing, because this is the first games, just about every company in China wants to have some association with the games or want to they want to participate in the Olympics somehow. So it's a challenge um, because everyone wants to do something, uh, but also uh, there are about 35 to 40 Chinese companies who are sponsor or official sponsors. And they do have uh, objectives of becoming global brands, but that's going to take some time, especially when their Olympic rights are only in China. So we're primarily working with them on um, promoting their sponsorship in China and reaching the Chinese audience. But we also do work with um, uh, international companies who are targeting the Chinese market but also uh, other markets as well, and we help them develop programs that, uh, um, that are specific to each uh, local market. Nick, just a general question for you. Before the Olympics take place next year, the NBA is going to be playing games over there. The NFL is scheduled to play some games. Give our listeners over here in America an idea of some of the prominent athletes, American athletes uh, over there in Beijing right now. Who do you see on the billboards and jerseys that are being sold, things like that? Well, in terms of the pro leagues, especially the American pro leagues, it's primarily been the NBA that has had the most reach. Um, they've, their games have been televised in China uh, for 20 years. 
Um, and especially when Yao Ming started playing in the NBA, that just ratcheted up the uh, the interest level, not only in Yao Ming, but other uh, players, of course, Michael Jordan years ago, but now um, Allen Iverson is very popular here, uh, Tracy McGrady, particularly because he, he plays with Yao Ming, um, Kobe Bryant, uh, LeBron James, They're, they all have uh, high profiles here in China. Besides the NBA, there really is a drop-off. The NFL has has targeted this market as well as Major League Baseball. But since they do not have high-profile athletes playing in their leagues, they just haven't generated the interest yet. So they're, they're just starting out mainly focused on grassroots, getting people to play their games. Um, but TV coverage is very low for both sports, and um, they've got a ways to go. So once you get past this... Uh this Olympic effort in 2008, what does the uh, the shift for a company like Octagon remaining in the market in China and the focus for the future, where do you see the, the real opportunities to, to leverage the success of the games? There, there will be obviously those who will, will view this as a 17-day effort that then moves on to London or, in the case of the Winter Games, to Vancouver. But what's the sport culture that's left behind and what are the opportunities for businesses to get involved? Well, the Olympics have brought just a great spotlight, a spotlight on sports in general in China. And what we've seen is, is because the games have been here, it has uh, helped to encourage consumers to get involved in sports more, uh, increase their uh, physical fitness activities, um, go out running more often, playing in more sports, and it has helped put a spotlight on different uh sports in general, so that once the games are over, uh, basketball, of course, but other sports um, that uh, have worked, that got more of an emphasis because of the games, um, there are certainly a number of, a number of opportunities where um, different organizations can ha- hold their events in China, um, not just in Beijing, but in ma- many other cities that are building uh, big sports complexes, arenas, um, stadiums to hold their events here and to build their sports after the games. Um, Not only that, but then uh, Chinese companies are learning how to sponsor sports, how to associate their brands uh, with sports in China, and they'll be more sophisticated in developing programs and and, um, basically creating a a much stronger link with sports in the future. So the sports market will will certainly grow um, long after the games are over. And for our listeners who uh, dream of being in the sports industry, is uh, is it fair to say that if uh, they could pick up the language and, and, and find a way to get over to China, that there's some opportunities to get involved over there? What's your experiences having been over there for, for a while now? And, uh, you know, it doesn't seem like the sports world's going to disappear once the games are over. No, that's right. Um, the uh, uh, Chinese companies here, they value um, experience. So, for uh, folks overseas who have been experienced with sports and and can bring uh, their knowledge here, uh, it certainly uh, will be a great use here in this market. Well, Nick, we really appreciate you taking the time to join us on this week's edition of Sports Business Radio. Look forward to uh, catching up with you in person, and uh, we'll catch up with you again soon. Thanks. It's my pleasure. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back.
Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for custom fit fine clothing and personal service to match, I call my friend Brian Tacker with the Tom James Company. Tom James' highly trained sales professionals like Brian Tacker come directly to your home or office saving you valuable time. Brian plans and coordinates my wardrobe so I am perfectly attired for any situation, whether it's a TV interview, a press conference, or a fundraiser. The Tom James Company offers over 500 suit fabrics and 250 shirt fabrics, and they carry all the accessories you'll need, from belts and ties to shoes and socks. The Tom James Company has been in business for over 40 years, and 80% of their business is generated from repeat customers. Call Brian Tacker today at 503-807-7956 or find his information at sportsbusinessradio.com. Brian Tacker and the Tom James Company, the official fine clothing partner of Sports Business Radio. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. We are back with our final segment on this week's edition of Sports Business Radio. And, you know, between now and 8-8 of 2008, we're going to try and bring you as many conversations as we can and kind of solve the mystery that is China leading up to these fantastic Olympic Games. But, Paul, you know, you've brought up some good points about just, you know, we see the NBA and the NFL and, you know, companies like Nike and Adidas and Coca-Cola and Starbucks and McDonald's getting over into China. Uh, reflect for a moment, if you would, about what these games mean to the world. Well, I, th- I think it will be the catalyst. Uh, that That's a word I used earlier in the show, this idea that uh, they'll use these 17 days that for those sponsors associated with the Olympic Games, if they help bring glory to the motherland, there's 1.3 billion people that will have an affinity for those brands that will you know, be a license to print money, you know, for the companies that are involved. But there's just a fascinating sort of post-Olympic story as well, which is, you know, how does this passion for sports sustain itself when the Olympics no longer is the focal point? There's, you know, there's soccer leagues, there's, you know, other sports that Americans don't even think of, but there's also Formula One, the Premier League's trying to get involved there. The sport of golf has exploded in that country. So, you know, it could stand to reason that there's a lot of opportunities for American sports leagues to uh, really make an inroad in that country post-Olympic 08. Well, and I'm going to say something, maybe this is crazy, but I would say there's probably more opportunity in China post-Olympics than there's ever been in any country. I mean, let's look at Athens, Greece. Not a lot of not a lot of people and companies rushing back to go use those venues again and to get back into Greece. But with China, for all the reasons that you just mentioned, it seems like it's such a fertile ground for the next decade or more for leagues and companies to go back and this is, like you said, the catalyst that will start all of that growth. Well, the challenge will now be to make it work outside of Beijing, outside of Shanghai, some of the major cities uh, that are around there. The, the reality is there's so many cities in this country that have more than 5 million people. The opportunities are going to be into the you know the western side of the country in areas that you know most Americans couldn't even find on a map or name on a map if they were asked to. Well, and these games have so many layers to them from – Uh, sport to politics to business so it'll be very interesting to uh, see firsthand what this is all about and then again report on this uh, from now until 8-8 of 2008. Paul thanks so much for taking the time to uh, join me on this week's edition. So we want to thank our sponsors as well Morton's the Steakhouse the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon and ProTrade.com. You can catch us on demand anytime you want. Just go to the podcast page at sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week.
Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com.